Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Andrew with the Martial Wisdom Podcast, and very happy to be here today and very thankful for you all for listening and sharing this. And um, today's episode is a very interesting one. It's on the anatomy of a martial arts or self-defense system. So what I'm going to describe in this episode is not anatomical physical points on a person's body to target, but actually breaking down the structure of a self-defense or martial arts system. And the reason I'm doing it is I think that if a person better understands the different elements that make up a martial arts or self-defense system, that it will help them in terms of being able to train more effectively, um, become more proficient at martial arts or self-defense, and then also become a better teacher in terms of helping students understand this information, whatever information they're trying to convey. So let's begin. Um, a lot of this stuff I've learned through trial and error, basically, and I, I kind of like looking at things sort of scientifically, like breaking down the structure and thinking, okay, what does this really mean? And that's kind of my unique perspective on this. So the three, if I had to break it down from a macro level to a micro, and that's what we'll be doing in this episode, the three fundamental elements that really make up an effective um, martial arts or self-defense system to me are number one, forms, and we'll get into what that is. Number two, sensitivity training. And number three, stress testing. So this is kind of a unique perspective. You maybe have never heard it explained in these terms, but I'd like to share this with you, with you guys because this has really helped me a lot and kind of revolutionized my thinking and the way that I apply um, my teaching to some of my students and and uh, colleagues in this art in the martial arts field. So, um, first is forms, and a lot of people are familiar with this. Most people, though, are not familiar with the concept of form in the English sense. They're familiar with the word kata, and to my understanding, the word kata translated essentially means form. It's a Japanese word, um, most popularly learned to us by anybody who's you know done a karate class or seen karate it's a very common term in karate and basically this is a free form where an individual is practicing attacking and defense movement patterns um now before i go further on this i am not stressing that any one of these three essential elements or structures of a martial arts or self-defense system are better than any of the others. In fact, I think you should have them all balanced equally in order to be the most efficient uh, defender you can be, essentially. So I think they all add their own piece of efficacy and um, uniqueness to the table. And I don't think any of them should be excluded, quite frankly. So getting back to it, forms or kata. In the traditional sense, you see these these, uh, you know, practitioners of karate, especially doing these free form katas where it's almost like in a sense, their form of shadow boxing in the boxing sense, you also see this. That's what shadow boxing is. It's a form. These individuals are practicing attacking and defense patterns over and over in certain combinations. And they're becoming, they're becoming materialized basically in their body. They're learning this muscle memory over and over and they're getting better at it. And that that's forms are so important, quite honestly. Now you might be arguing with me, well, 
especially in in today's age where they're like well mma people in mma beat people in traditional martial arts all the time well yes i've seen that on videos and things like that um but i don't think you should trash the traditional martial arts because the traditional martial arts have helped produce what is mma today people in mma have simply taken what is effective in a lot of the traditional arts and they've ignored things that they found to be ineffective so you should not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I think that you should have um, a basic respect for a lot of these traditional martial arts, in a sense. Um, you can learn things from them. and um, But that's the importance of forms. Now, you might be thinking, well, are we just doing it because of tradition? Absolutely not. I, I believe in practicality. You're doing this to learn muscle memory, balance, and ergonomics. So what do I mean by ergonomics? You're learning a way to move and keep your body structured and balanced correctly to execute certain movement patterns in order that you have, you're less likely to injure yourself and you're more effective and efficient in terms of being able to deliver uh, effective defense and offense. Um, my classic example is this. You could have you could have a street brawler who's just an absolute brute, super strong, fast, athletic for their size, but their form sucks. And they're coming wild with punches and kicks. I mean, kicks are quite honestly hard to do if you have no form. Um, they're coming at people very wild and loosely. And yeah, if they get lucky and the person doesn't know what they're doing that's on the other end... They could just demolish this other person. But oftentimes, the more intelligent fighter who knows correct body mechanics, ergonomics, can often make that other person look silly. Now, I know there's always, there's always, people can argue with me on this, and there's always uh, situations where you see the opposite, where the other person doesn't know what they're doing. But take my words... <laughs> don't try to run circles and arguments around my words. The bottom line is we, we all know that having a better form in terms of doing a movement, even with sports is going to make us more likely for one, we're going to have the muscle memory, be more efficient at the movement. We can do it faster. We can do it by expending less energy and we can do it more effectively and with more force. And two, we're less likely to get injured not only because we're conditioning our body to do the movement over and over again and we're gaining structural strength so we don't get injured during that, but it's also a familiar movement for us. So my challenge to you guys, actually, it's a very interesting one, is that if your self-defense system or martial art does not have a form, which I would argue it does, you're just not necessarily thinking of it correctly, that you create forms that work for you. So do you have a combination, an attacking or defensive combination or the mixture of the both that works effectively for you or you want to get better at? Create a form out of it. Practice shadow boxing. Even when you're punching a punching bag, you're practicing a form. A lot of people don't think about it that way. Well, work on the form. Work on your structure, your movement patterns, your speed, your elusiveness, whatever you're trying to get out of it. Um, so that's the first thing on forms. And it's also very interesting. I've been I played with this for a while, and you can create your own forms. You, if you're trying to teach an attack sequence to students, you can work on certain movement patterns 
to get them to do that over and over to where they're going to have better form and be more likely to actually be able to deliver those attacks. So that's my first piece on forms. My second piece is on sensitivity. And this is a concept that actually, quite frankly, any martial art that you verse another person, you're going to get this in. But a lot of martial arts or self-defense systems do not talk about it in, in this term of actual sensitivity. And what sensitivity means is, is feel and being able to react to feel. So you're not going by sight, but you're going by feel. Now, intuitively, a lot of grappling arts have, you have to eventually become good at sensitivity. You naturally do. That's precisely what happens when you enter a clinch as a wrestler, as a judoka, as a jujitsu practitioner, freeform grappler, whatever it may be. As soon as you put your hands on somebody else and they put their hands on you, you are in a grappling situation and it's all about sensitivity. It's about feeling how that person is moving, being able to attack them or move around them or manipulate their body the way that the way that serves your purpose so that you can neutralize them and then being able to react to their attacks or defenses etc um the same is true in Wing Chun kung fu and some of the more traditional kung fu's and even okinawan karate has a lot of sensitivity drills there are actual sensitivity drills for striking as well and then in Cali and some of the Southeast Asian arts, especially with weapons, there's a lot of sensitivity drills, which are super effective at learning, at teaching a person how to develop speed and reaction time that's quite frankly faster than visual. Yeah, people are often surprised when they actually buy into enough to start trying sensitivity drills at how well a person responds to feel and how more effectively to feel as opposed to visual sight um and nowadays especially if you look at certain martial arts or fighting styles some of those styles you set up an opponent by feigning or doing something like a jab you're you're setting up an opponent by seeing their reaction to a certain probing attack and you're just simply doing it to elicit a certain response and set a person up. Same with certain grappling and submission sequences. So especially in this sort of age um, and in the reality of self-defense and martial arts where people will try to set you up and trick you, sensitivity is so important. Um, you, need to, you need to be put in situations over and over to be, where be, something becomes a reaction, a muscle memory reaction. And quite frankly, those muscle memory reactions, I would argue, are some of the things that will actually save our lives. Because when you're in a stressful situation in the moment, and somebody comes at you with an attack out of the blue, potentially, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen to you, but if it does, it is your sort of knee-jerk reaction, your actual reflex arc reaction, that's often trained by sensitivity, that's going to be what's there to really capitalize in that moment and potentially subdue a person an attacker very quickly and people that get really good at this they are absolutely they don't even seem human in a sense i've seen some people um you know my original sifu he is utterly been doing this what probably 50 40 to 50 years now and 
focuses a lot on sensitivity training and he is by far one of the most elusive and fast human beings I've ever met. And he's close to 70. Um, and that's the beauty of sensitivity drills too. It's, you age much, much slower. And quite frankly, as long as you're healthy enough, you can keep doing those as long as you want. Um, so sensitivity, whatever it may be, um, if you, if you do jujitsu or grappling art, you do this all the time when you roll, when you do your free rolling. Um, that's precisely what you're doing. You are feeling a person out. They're feeling you out. You're reacting to their movement. They are reacting to yours and you're trying to find sequences and reactions in order to help neutralize them. Um, same with same with certain, you know, light sparring and stuff like that. But the focus here on sensitivity should be on your reactions. You know, this one isn't just to pummel each other to death kind of thing, but being able to react over and over again. Um, because quite frankly, your reflex arc and these reactions that you can develop with sensitivity are much faster, even scientifically, if you think about it, than your brain having to think on the higher level. You know, these are primitive reaction, primitive responses. The message just goes to your brainstem and, and back out to the limb to move. It doesn't have to go all the way up your brainstem then into your brain and you have to process it and think about it and then execute the movement and send the message back out. If you think about it scientifically, that makes a lot of sense. But a lot of arts have this. Um, I, I mean, I would argue, ev argue that every art has it. But I would argue if your art has maybe not so much of it that you should create drills. And there's a lot of fantastic drills online. Um, if you type in sensitivity drill to just about any type of martial art or fighting style, somebody's inventively has created at least one. And a lot of them are fantastic. These videos on YouTube and you find ones that work for you. And if they don't work for you, try to, try to create your own, you know, in terms of a movement pattern that you want to train to be automatic. So sensitivity, that's, that's another portion of this. And, um, finally, the third one has to do with stress training or stress testing. And this, this is this third structure or portion of a martial art or self-defense system is so important. It's arguably the most important in terms of being able to survive an encounter in real life. Um, if you think of these three elements, they're, they're like a three-leafed clover. If you don't have one of them, you're missing the full structure, in my opinion. And I'm not trying to say that one is anyone is better than the others. However, what I have to say about this stress testing or inoculation is that this one is oftentimes the one that is, I think is most disregarded, especially in some of the traditional martial arts. Um, and what this means is that you are creating situ training situations where people are coming after you and they are, you know, you design the situation to where you are not injuring each other severely and no longer able to train because that's silly, but you make it effective enough to where it is painful or uncomfortable, you know, and individuals, they're going to smash you and try to submit you or um, keep hitting you in the face if you let them. You need to create situations where people stress you out. They attack you. 
you need to get used to being attacked and how to stay calm during that and react quickly and effectively, efficiently and aggressively towards your attacker. And this is, this is one of the main reasons why some of the traditional martial artists who are quite good at their forms or styles don't fare so well when they verse individuals in other mart arts or systems that do more of this. You know, individuals, I'll give you a classic example. People who do Muay Thai or kickboxing. A lot of times these people will step in the ring and because they spar a lot in these over and over, that's one of their main themes, is that they are just, they're totally inoculated to stress. They know how to survive in a stressful environment with somebody attacking them and they know how to deliver the punishment right back. I mean, they're at home in that environment. Whereas if you have somebody who does karate and they don't train in a sense where they do much sparring and they're not being stress inoculated or stress tested, they're going to have the disadvantage when it comes to that. And this is not a shot at any, any traditional system or anything like that. This is just a lesson to be learned for all of us in our own self-defense system, our own self-defense training. Whatever our system is that we adopt, whether it be a mixed system or we are doing a traditional one, we need to do stress testing. We need to have people attack us in certain ways or put us in bad positions and find the ways that actually work to get out of those situations. And we need to do it in training because you need to find out if it works in training with people you can trust as opposed to when you're on the street with somebody who's trying to kill you. So this that's a very, very important concept to this. Um, and it can go with many different things. Like we do a lot of stress training. Obviously you do a lot of, you can easily do a lot of stress training in terms of having people spar with you um, and go after you doing group fighting where you're having to defend yourself against multiple people to find out what attack sequences, what strategies, what concepts, movement patterns actually work for you in those is super important. Same with weapon defense. I would argue it's so important with weapon defense. You need to have people coming after you with, you know, a training weapon of some sort. Uh, and you need to find out what truly works and they need to use use realistic and aggressive attacks that people use in real life you know none of none of this just one and done reaching kind of strike thing but your classic ice pick sewing machine come at them raging and stabbing over and over and try to not let them grab that knife kind of thing because that if you have a very aggressive person with a knife on the street that's probably what they're going to do so you need to find out what works against these certain attacks and then if, if there are new attacks and you're wondering what works, then you practice those and you find out what truly does. You put yourself in those situations. You have somebody attack you over and over. So it's just a very important portion of it. Um, so that's kind of my rundown of these three essential anatomical portions or structures of a martial arts or self-defense system. Um, and how can this, how can this benefit you? Well, I would say that number one, most of us, most of the time, if we're training, we can't train with other people 
100% of the time. For one, we're dealing with a pandemic, so it's hard to even find a group of people you can trust well enough that and they don't work in certain occupations to where it's like, oh, this is a high-risk thing. But also, even without a pandemic situation, we all have lives, you know, especially people who have families. You know, you can't constantly be spending all day training doing martial arts or self-defense. Um, as a result, realistically, a lot of our training is going to be solo, probably the majority of it, quite honestly, if you look at the actual quantitative amount of time you spend training. And so I would encourage you to actually work on your forms. Um, and you might have a different understanding of forms now. That doesn't necessarily mean a traditional kata. But if for some reason you're drawn to that and you find that to be an effective form for increasing your balance, your movement, your speed, your efficiency, your ability to generate force and your strikes, that's fantastic. Do that. If it's improving your chance of survivability and your peace of mind and body, absolutely keep doing it and find ones that work for you. You know, because of YouTube, there's a lot of information now online that's shared with us that otherwise you might not have access to. So work on your forms. Work on honing it. Work on things becoming muscle memory, be movement patterns becoming more efficient, more effective, and also more defensive at the same time for you, having less vulnerability for your opponent. Whatever that may be and whatever art you do. So that's one whether that be in a shadow boxing form, like you're fighting air or going at a makeshift opponent, or you're using a, a Makanara board, a wooden dummy, a traditional boxing bag, whatever it may be, practice your forms. Work on those. Next is sensitivity. And this one is difficult to do if you don't have a partner. However, this is one of the secrets of certain Kung Fu's that use a wooden dummy is that with a wooden dummy, it's the next best thing to an actual live human partner to learn sensitivity. And basically what's happening with that dummy, if you don't believe me on that, I dare you to go try a wooden dummy. If you know somebody who uses one, try a wooden dummy, try learning certain sequences on it and how to react to those and become fast at it. And I guarantee you your ability to feel attacks and react to them and find your way around an opponent's arms or their leg, if the dummy has a wooden leg on the bottom, will increase exponentially. Um, but you, we need to find ways to try and develop some sort of sensitivity. And you can look online, if you have a trusted training partner or somebody at home, you're around all the time, who wants to do this, work with them on it. And you don't have to do these things generating an insane amount of force. Work on your speed. Work on your speed and your reactions. Um, I remember I used to work on this with my wife because she is ref reflex wise. She has, has insane reflexes, like naturally gifted reflexes, very fast. And because she's very relaxed in her posture, it, she's harder to read in terms of feel. It's just the attacks there. There's, there's much less generated as opposed to somebody bigger who has muscle and you can feel more tension. So practice sensitivity drills. If you don't know any, Look up ones online, depending upon, you can look them up at specific to your art, and I'm sure somebody's made some sort of one. Um, and there are ones that are solo ones too. They, they don't work quite as well as partners, obviously, but they're better than nothing. And it works on your reaction time and your ability to react automatic over and over again. After a while, it becomes intuitive. 
So sensitivity. And then finally, your stress inoculation or stress testing. This is so important. And when you have the opportunity, once again, which will eventually come, when you have the opportunity to actually train with other people again, start doing this. Start training with other people, having them stress you, having them put you in stressful situations, attack you over and over so that you can learn to be yourself in those moments and learn to express your body and your reactions in those moments. Um, another important aspect I will say in terms of stress inoculation as well is specific sparring or stress inoculation. Don't just do your freeform sparring. Freeform sparring has a place, absolutely. However, specific situations are very key to improving rapidly. Now, why is that? Well, because the odds of you actually being in certain positions during a freeform sparring session are much less than if you're actually starting in those positions. I mean, it just makes sense. And let's be honest, when you start really becoming good at a martial art and you start advancing exponentially is when, in my opinion, you start saying, okay, I feel pretty strong here. I feel pretty at peace here, but I don't feel comfortable in this position or this situation. So I'm going to keep having somebody put me in that situation. I'm going to train that situation. In other words, you're training your, I wouldn't say faults, but your weaknesses. You're looking, you're honestly looking at your weaknesses, your weak points, and you are finding ways to train those specifically so that they become your strong points. Um, Nick Gregory Artis, him and Kit Dale, they, they're members of the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. They run a phenomenal organization. And I've learned a lot of such key grappling concepts from these guys. They're, they're just genius in the way that they look at things. You can visit them. They're on jujitsubrotherhood.com. You can look at them. They have a lot of videos online too for free. I, I encourage you to look at their stuff because they are... I mean, these guys, I've never met them in person, but these guys had taught me so much just from what they've shared, you know, their knowledge they've shared online. And um, they, Nick Gregory Artis remembers that he was, he was working with his, um, his original instructor. Uh, I, to be honest, I cannot remember which Gracie it was. It's such a large family, but uh, that's, that's his instructor, his original one. And he asked him one day, he was like, well, how come you didn't let us free, free roll? How come we did specific rolling situations most of the class? And he said to him something in turn, this is probably not verbatim and I might be butchering it, but he said to him, because that's where you really get better. Free sparring is more for fun, but the specific situations are really where you improve. And that, I believe that to be true. That that has stood the test of what I've experienced as well. Um, yeah, free form, there's a time and place for free sparring because it allows you a lot of freedom and you gain a lot from that too. But finding these situations where we feel weaker at and we need to improve and starting in those positions, especially if you think of it from a grappling standpoint, um, Nick uses the example that he didn't feel his half guard was that strong compared to his other things. So 
When he would free roll with people, he started saying, hey, could I start in half guard? Would you mind? And most of them were like, sure, that's fine. So he, even though it was free rolling, he would start in these positions and he would just practice from these positions. Uh, and I think that's, we can take a lot of wisdom from that. Um, so bottom line is, with your stress inoculation, your stress testing, your sparring, uh, don't just do freeform sparring. Yes, there's a time and place for that. You absolutely should do that. But I would argue that at least half, if not more, of your time in sparring should be sp spent doing specific situations, especially ones where you feel weakened or less comfortable. Because then you can make them comfortable. And, and quite honestly, a defender is... If a defender works on all their weaknesses, there's not a kink in their armor, if you think about it that way. They are just that much harder to defeat. And so when you be when you're put in situations where you have to defend others or yourself, you're going to end up being the type of person that that's the wrong person to have attacked or have attacked somebody else in front of. So this is all about improvement, guys. So hopefully this episode was interesting. It's kind of an interesting take on the actual structure of a martial art or self-defense system. If you have any interest in sort of evolving and creating your own, this is sort of the template that I used um, in sort of evolving my own little system. And um, this is something that might serve you well there or even in just in your own training. So I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to share this with others. You might find this to be helpful for them. And continue to give me ideas of, of episodes you want to hear or my take on things, and I'll try to share with you what I've learned. So thank you so much. You all are wonderful.